Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I know it was a long liturgy, but happy uh, Feast of the Cross. A happy, joyous, great Lent. Um, so the topic for today is called Be Converted as Little Children. And I want us to um, kind of look at the photo we have um, as the background for this slide. And, you know, I think during Great Lent, we focus a lot about um, the struggle, you know, the, the two months of fasting. We, we, there's a lot of things that make it very difficult on us during Great Lent, right? And James says, um, you know, find it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So the one aspect I wanted to look at was how can we find joy during the Great Lent, right? How can we go from the crucifix to the resurrection. And if we look at this photo, it's kind of apparent. It's through children. Children are the icons of Christ. They symbolize to us what joy truly is. And so if we look at this photo, we see that there's a baby smiling at Christ as he's carrying him up and Christ smiling back. This is the image I want us to kind of remind ourselves of what Great Lent truly is. That our faith is based on the resurrection. It's based on the end. To not be stuck in the muck of the crucifixion, but that we proceed on to Holy Week, to Bright Saturday, to the resurrection. And children remind us of that. And the question is, how do we do this with our sins? How do we go from the crucifix of our sin to the resurrection? Okay? And so I want us to really remember this image as long as we can through the struggles and difficulties of Great Lent, is remember the smiling child looking at Jesus. So uh, the reason I picked this uh, title, Be Converted as Little Children, it comes from Matthew 18, 1 through 5, can someone close the doors? Is it, are they all closed? Okay. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they had this, uh, this dispute, this argument about who's gonna be the greatest in heaven. And so what does Christ do? He picks up a little child, puts them in the midst. And when, when do we see this word midst? He says, two or more are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. So that child represents Christ, that that bright, bushy-eyed, bright-eyed individual is representing Christ, the happiness, the joy of Christ. Regardless of the turmoil or whatever we're going through, Christ is in our midst, okay? And then he says two important words. He said, assuredly, and we're going to probably use this two or three times throughout the lesson today, I say to you, unless you are converted and this is a very key word we're going to get to, and become as little children. So the, converts, the converted has to come before becoming the little child. He says, you are converted and become as little children. This is very important, that order. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So we see 
that God uses example after example of this little child. But then you're going to realize that these examples are a progression of sowing God's love. That he is telling us, this is how much I love you. We see the progression of God's love to humanity through this little child. So the first step is what? He says, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become a little child, you will by no means what? Enter. So the first step is, how do we enter and go back home to our beloved father? We must be like little children. So we must be like little children to first enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Christ-like. And then, how do we become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The humility of a child. So we go from entrance to greatness. The enter is to become like a child, and then when you are like a little child, to what? Become humble. And then the third one, he says at the end, which is our whole purpose, is when we get into the kingdom of heaven, what do we want to do? We want to receive him. And how do we receive Christ? By receiving a child. Because when we receive a child, we're receiving Christ. So children are an example and icons of Christ here on earth. They are a reminder to us that this is what paradise is like. This this, uh, utter bliss and joy and excitement that children have, that is how we're supposed to be feeling constantly. And that's why it says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, humility, for they shall see God. That's why children can see God. Because they're pure in heart. They're humble. Okay? And we also read this in Matthew 25. He says, assuredly, he used that word again. I say to you, and as much as you did to one of the least, what's the least? The lost sheep. The stranger. The people we, fe- we dislike. Our enemies or so-called enemies. Right? Little children. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Okay? But we see in this passage that Christ is responding to one of the disciples' questions. But then I realized there's a second half to this story. Where now, where Christ is addressing his disciple to now... Christ is addressing all of humanity. So if we go from Matthew to Luke, chapter 12, we read the second half, but this is from God's heart to us. He says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added to you. And this is my favorite verse. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We see that word good. Where else does he mention the word good? That this is good. Creation. And creation is what? Probably the greatest 
illustrative manifestation of his love to us, that he created all these things for us. So good is not used lightly. Okay? So what do we see here? Again, the continuation of God's love. He says, seek heaven, little flock. Right? For your Father in heaven knows what you need and all will be provided for you as a parent who provides for their own child. And we read this in the chapter right before in Luke 11, where he says, who will give a child a stone if they ask for bread, right? Who will give them a snake if they ask for a fish? Who will give them a scorpion if they ask for an egg? And he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So remember, do not fear little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, and then I want to show a video. I don't know if it'll work. There it goes. I will describe it. <laughs> I'm not good with charades. Should I? Me too. Yeah. So do you want me to skip it for now? Or, okay. I guess. Okay. Okay. Let me just describe it then, Negi. Is that would that be okay? Yeah. Or do you want me to wait? Oh. Is that it? It's okay. I'll just describe it. Yeah, yeah. Me too. It's okay. All right. So what happens um, in the video is these two little children are very innocently playing. And then they start to get into an argument. They start fighting. They start becoming physical. They start yelling and screaming. And then it goes to crying. You're just showing an array, a plethora of all these different emotions that these children are giving. 
And the reason I wanted to show that video is because it's, you know, uh, ironically, is to show that me too. That we have, we have hope, right? It shows a, a message of peace and hope. Ironically, why? Because what does Christ say about children? Does He say that children are perfect? No, and we've experienced it firsthand. Okay, uh, do they sin? Does Christ say they do not sin? Of course they sin. They're humans. Even if they're children, they're still human. But the question is, what is their nature behind their sin? Right? What, what is their mind thinking? What is their heart feeling when they sin? This is what children remind us of. Children the children don't tell us that we can't sin. They sin. But their sin is very different than our sin. Because their sin is what? They sin and they move on with their life. They don't stay stagnant or in the muck of their sin. They don't attach all of these other false sins and they don't magnify the faults that they have. They understand their faults and they move on. And this is how we were supposed to live. We go through the crucifixions of everyday life, but we live in the moment of the resurrection. Oh, oh thank you, Egg. you're awesome. <laughs> Whatever works. And just the first. Me too. The first. We have one more day. Me too. It does some six, Justin. No, I'm getting it on tape too. Y'all gonna see this when y'all get old. Careful. 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 I got him. I got him fighting. Dustin. Go. Go away. Go away. Uh oh. Go away. Oh, you're Okay, wow, that's loud. <laughs> I don't think he brought up their volume. I think that's just them. They're just that. So um, what, what do we see with these children? They, <laughs> we wear, they wear their, their heart on their sleeves. They show you all their emotions without feeling guilty about it. Right? That, that's who they are. They know who they are, and they're not ashamed of it. But then what happens five minutes after this? What do you think will happen in this video? I don't, I don't want you guys to watch the rest of it, but in five minutes, what happens? No, They're, they treat each other with such love like it never happened. They don't just forgive, they what? They forget, like goldfish, okay? They honestly pretend like it never happened. And this is what we're called to do. Is that difficult for adults? Absolutely, because we have all these extra things that we attach to our sin or our judgment, or what we think of others. And it's these children that I learn the most from. They remind me so much of Christ. So one of the paradoxes, which are many in our faith, 
is that Christ says that you must humble yourself as a child to be great in the kingdom of God. So in other words, we have to understand our true nature more and more like a little child, humility, which is being a sinner. And then we have the greater chance to have to, to be going back home like a prodigal son. It's when the prodigal son realized who he was, where he was at, and what he missed that made him go back. He became a little child. Okay? Sin is not what condemns us. It is our infatuation with it. It is this exaggeration we have of it. Okay? We attach all these false sins with the original sin that has already been forgiven and forgotten like a little child. Christ has already forgiven and forgotten once we go to repentance. And this is great Lent, is the repentant heart. It's all about the forgiveness, the repentance and moving on. It's not, being about, it's not about being stagnant. Okay? And this is why I chose the t- title, Be Converted as Little Children. Does anyone know what converted means? Converted comes from the Greek, means to turn. So it means literally to fully turn around, right? Or to transform, or to turn back in the opposite direction. Okay? Reminds you of a matunya, right? We what? When we bow down, we are changing our physical motion, our appearance, and we are going in the opposite direction of sin. Instead of running away from God, we're running towards him okay so when we don't repent we are living in death and crucifixion of our sins it is when we repent that we rise in christ in his resurrection and so oh good it works um so what i decided to do is go over just six there's so many and each one can have its own talk but i'm going to briefly just go over just six beautiful characteristics that children have And I'm going to focus on the positive, okay? Why am I focusing on the positive? Because that's where I want us to be, positive. I want us to remember the resurrection of Christ during Great Lent, okay? The joy of the resurrection. And so the first one is little and unnoticed. I think we feel this sometimes, right? When we feel that we are small or invisible, not being noticed or heard, right? This is what children feel probably all the time because of their stature, right? They feel small in a world of adults, right? That's why they cling so heavily with their peers. And sometimes it can be psychological, it can be mental, it could be anything that causes them to feel that they don't feel equal to others, okay? They feel like a nobody, And we see a lot of this type of character in scripture. Okay? But what does God in scripture talk about when he talks about the littleness? It's so beautiful. He says something really beautiful about the littleness. I am in your littleness. That is where you will find me, is in your littleness, is in your nothing. Where everybody thinks you're little or that you're nothing or you're unnoticed, I see you. I notice you. I know who you are. 
Okay, and so I'm going to give you just three examples. And the first one are the disciples. Now, if you can have the pick of the lot, would these 12 disciples be the first ones to be picked in the entire civilization at that time? Absolutely not. These disciples were what? They were small. They were unnoticed in society. They were considered nobodies. They didn't have a very good professional career. They were fishermen, tax collectors. Not the best choices here, right? They had no financial uh, durability, right? They, they weren't financially uh, stable. And they, little, they had little to zero faith in God. So that's not a good start. So why these 12? Because if they were chosen by wealth, high stature, and great faith, people would contrib- contribute their success by what they had accomplished in the past, that they did it upon themselves. Rather than their radical transformation in God himself, that God did everything for them, that God did within themselves that he can do with anyone, okay? And we see this, it says it in Corinthians. It says what? My strength is made perfect in weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God can work within our weakness, not within the pride. What does he do to the pride? He resists the pride, but gives grace to the humble, right? So he loves our littleness. Example is when he fed the multitudes. What what did he have? He had a couple of loaves, right? Some loaves. And the exact word here, a few little fish. And what did God do with these few little fish? Abundance. Okay? And we see this in King David. This is a really good example of King David. So in King David's time, his father, Jesse, had how many sons? Does anyone know? What? He had nine. He had nine sons. And of the nine sons, how many did he bring to present to the Lord as the new king to be ordained? Eight. Which one do you think he left off? King David. Oh, you don't want King David. You don't want him. He's small in stature. He's weak. He looks frail compared to these eight really, you know, manly men, sons. Pick them. And he actually put them in order of their height. And then what did God say? Okay. He, he, let, he was being very patient. He let Jesse present all eight of his sons. And he said no to all of them. And, and God knows he has one more. Where's, where's that one that I'm waiting for? And then he says, oh, oh yeah. He's, he's out there taking care of the cattle. Can you go, go fetch him? So they bring King David. And he says, this is who I want. So what does this tell us? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Because the world doesn't see you, I see you. Okay? That's why kids don't care what other people think. They care about what you think, what the, what the parents think. The ones that they love, those are the ones they care about who, who they think, right? I care about what mommy and daddy thinks. 
And when they love God, I care about what God thinks. Okay? And ironically, what do we see King David do? Big King David, who's actually small, defeats the giant Goliath. God loves the small and the weak. He loves the littleness in each one of us. So what did King David receive, possess from God? He became king, but there's something even bigger. If we read in the very first chapter of the New Testament of Matthew, what is that whole chapter dedicated to? The genealogy. Is King David a descendant of Christ? Did King David come from Christ? He allowed King David to be in the lines of his family. That's amazing. Knowing full well the sins that he's going to commit. And they were big sins. And what does God do? Does God hide those sins in the scriptures? Oh, no, no, I'm not going to, you know, he, he's, 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 he's one of my family members. I, I don't want the world to know what he did wrong because it'll, it'll give me a bad image, a, bit, a bad reputation. But what does Christ say when he came in? He came in as a bondservant and had no reputation. He did not care what other people thought. He was who he was. I am who I am. Take me or leave me, but this is who I am. And it says here even something more beautiful. Look what Christ says about King David. We know the sins he committed. I'm not going to go over them. It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. The sins he committed, that's a man after God's own heart. Those children who were fighting, arguing, yelling, screaming, crying, that's humility? That's who's going to be the greatest in the heaven? Yes, they are. Because God does not say you are not allowed to sin. You are going to sin, but what do you do with it? What are you going to do after you sin? Those are the greatest in the kingdom of God. It is going to be those children. It is going to be King David. Because they were just, they lived a life of repentance. A life of forgiveness. A life of feeling terrible about their sin and they moved on they did not stay that way and then he also says i will select king david who will do all my will so someone so small as king david's stature was given so much to accomplish because god can work with those who have a humble heart regardless of their sin and their littleness it doesn't matter. And we read in James, it says, look also at these large, huge boat, yachts. Think of them. Although they are so large and are driven by a fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. This boat looks like it's in control, but guess what happens to that rudder? It's the one in control. It's this little rudder, this little King David, right? These little children, Um, imperfect yet innocent. 
And this reminds us of, do we know who we are? Sometimes I think we live within our own minds, right? We have this illusion or distortion of reality. And I think we do the same thing with our humanity. We forget that we are sinners, and sometimes we are astonished or surprised or shocked by sin. And Father John Delby says, therefore, never be discouraged by your faults. Begin by not being astonished by them. And here's what he says about a little child. A little child who does not know how to walk is not astonished at stumbling and falling with each step he takes. Do they, does he or see when, when they fall, do they just give up and never walk for the rest of their lives? They're going to figure it out. Guess what? I fell. Guess what? Get up. Nobody cares. That's what our sin is. Get up because nobody cares. God does not care. Who's the one that cares the most about your sin? Yourself. That is one of the greatest deception of, uh, of, uh, of the adversary, is to believe that your sin is bigger than you think it is. It's not. It's just what? A grain of sound along what? The mountain of mercy of Christ. You, he, does it, he can't even see it. It's so small. But we, we, in our heads, in our imagination, it's this big glorious thing. Children, however, they live in the reality of who they are. They don't hesitate to tell us who they are. More in many, many different ways. Okay, they come to the realization that they are unimportant to the world, but important to God and others. They are at complete peace with their imperfections. And I'm going to read this from uh, Sister Ruth Burroughs. Says, striving for perfection is the most disastrous of the mistakes good people fall into. It feeds the very vice intended to destroy. Most fervent souls are prepared to give God any mortal thing, work themselves to death, anything except the one thing he wants, total trust. Anything but surrender into this loving hand, then pay attention to this part. It's my favorite part. You must become as little children whose one virtue is that they know they are unimportant and it's not unimportant to God unimportant to the world okay Okay, I'm going to kind of move on we're running out of time I'm going to skip some stuff I'm going to skip it okay humble and simple does anyone know the definition of humility what's the definition of humility uh, its origin is rooted in Latin and it comes from humus, meaning of the earth. To be humble is to be face down in the dirt, knowing that we are nothing. We are literally, if you look at it in the chemistry of elements, we are made of the same elements as dirt. We are biologically from dirt. Okay? Submitting to the authority of another without personal pride. Who does that sound like? Children, that's how they live their lives. They know they have no control. They want control, but they know deep down, mommy and daddy said, don't do that. Mommy's gonna give me, oh, wait till daddy gets home. They know they don't have control. That's what we have to do. We have to release our control. And it's a relief. It makes us carefree to think that, guess what? God's looking after me. God is in control. I don't have to worry about it. 
right? And then St. Jerome, so Christ says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's how St. Jerome puts it. Whosoever, therefore, humiliates himself like this child is greater in the kingdom of heaven. And then I'm going to talk about another part of this book. It's the, my favorite part of this entire book. It's probably the greatest passage I've ever read about humility. And it's this, uh, this concept called transformation union. And this transforming union is when we go from self to the union in Christ, as in like two candles melting, to now it's just all about Christ. And uh, one of the great saints in the Catholic Church was uh, St. Therese, See, gone through this experience, and here's what it says. It's absolutely beautiful. It says, I asked her if she could say anything about her experience, how she knew she had passed into the state of transforming union. With great reserve, she replied, Jesus has always been my music. By the music was all I noticed. I wasn't aware before that it was that it was in some way I who played. Who's I? Self. Just me. But then, I who became the organ. Now I became the instrument. It's kind of like what Mother Teresa says. I am just a pencil that God uses. That's the what? The union in Christ now. God's playing the music. I'm just the instrument that he plays with. But then he says, but then I found the difference. And this is after many, many years of struggle. He was now all. The music played of itself. No more musician. No more instrument. It's just beautiful sounds. It's just Christ. There was only the music. I was now living what had seemed my life before, but only seen because I only looked at him and didn't advert to myself. Now myself has become fully him. And that's what children remind us of. They allow us to mold them, to teach them, right? And they learn from us. This is what we have to allow Christ to do, that we are just clay that needs to be molded. Like a, like a potter. We need to let the potter do, do his work. Okay, next one. Dependence. I'm almost done. I apologize. Dependent and need. I know we've had a long day. Uh, they can't do anything by themselves. We teach them as they grow older. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Who are the best employees that companies want to hire? Are they the ones with the most experience? Are they the ones that have the best degrees? They're not. Because... Both of those come with something. What happens if you have the best degree? Ego, pride, I know better. Look all I've learned. This company, they don't know what they're doing. And then what about ones with the most experience? How do they come? Oh, did you see the company I was just at? They can now compare. They can now say, oh, no, 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 no. Look, go back and look what this company does. I'm telling you now, you guys are all doing it wrong. But what are the best employees? The ones that come with no baggage. The ones that can be molded into the culture of that community. It's the ones that come in when they say, jump, and they say, how high? They come in with humility. They come in with simplicity. And the greatest value is they come and they want to be taught. 
the ones that are teachable, those are the best employees. The ones that are willing to become one with that company. They become what? A core member of that society. Those are the best employees. And then what I'm going to do, and um, oh, and a, a, another example. I don't want to skip this one. Our children, Joshua right here, almost every night, <laughs> every night now, they come up to us and say, Mommy and Daddy, can you spend time with us? I hope that never goes away. And I hope I never, like, because I'm so tired and exhausted, refuse them. Because I feel like that's going to happen. Um, and so the church father says the following, one of the church fathers, children follow their father, love their mother, do not know how to wish ill on their neighbor, show no concern for wealth, are not proud, do not hate, believe what has been said, and hold what they hear as truth. We must therefore return to the simplicity of children, because with it we shall embrace the beauty of the Lord's humility. And I'm going to compare these uh, two characters in the Bible, and when I read this, I cried actually. It really touched me. It was between Adam and St. Peter. What do we see with these two? Adam lived alone. What happens when you live alone over a long period of time? You start to feel independent. You start to feel like, I don't want roommates. I'm a bachelor. I'm good. I don't want anything. I know how to live my life. But St. Peter, what was his life like? Always in a community, always in a group setting. He's with the 12 disciples, and when he was a fisherman, he had to work with other people. Very different life. And look how they become. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, remember these words, guys. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I pray to God that God never tells me, where are you? Where are you? Because where's Adam? He's hiding. He's fleeing. He's running from God. But yet, what's amazing is I'm in the paradise. You are one with God. All you need is me. And then he has to go find you. He says, where are you? Where are we in our lives? When we fall, we forget who we are and where we come from. And that's the, the big de- that's the big deception. We know who we are. We know where we're supposed to go. But we linger. We hold on to the sin. We like, the, the, there's almost a moment where the devil goes, no, 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 don't escape yet. I want you to live in this because I don't want you to go back to God. Adam ran, or if we put ourselves in his shoes, we run from God causing our sin to bond us and imprison us. Where are you? Where are we in our lives? And then we get to St. Peter, right? Uh, Very abrasive, very impulsive, right? But then he has this beautiful dialogue with Christ. He He had several, but this one really touches the heart. He says, I shall be with, he says, little children, this is Christ, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Then look at what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? 
like a little child. Lord, where are you going? Rather than where are you, God is saying it to Adam, where are you? Peter is saying to Christ, where are you going? Don't leave me. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Like a little child. It's beautiful. I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? And then we, we, we know what happens. I don't need to go over it. But then, um, does anyone have, does anyone have seen Chosen? Has anyone seen Chosen? And so I want to go back to that, the, the, the finale, the last episode of the final scene. What? Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to go over it. Just plug your ears. Okay, so what happens is it, it, it's the time where um, the disciples are on the boat and they see Christ, but they think he's a ghost and they get scared because there's a big storm, a lot of waves, there's chaos everywhere. And they're freaking out. And then as Christ gets closer, they recognize him. And Peter says to Christ, let me come and come to you. Let me come to you. And at this moment, in chosen, not in scripture, he has a lot of things on his mind. His, uh, his wife just lost a baby. And what has he seen Christ do day after day? Heal multitudes of people that are complete strangers, not to Christ, but to Peter. And he says, you are healing all these people, but the people that are closest to you, you allow this to happen? How is that fair? Why does my wife get to lose a child, but yet you get to heal all these people? Because why? My ways are not what? Your ways. You have to trust me. And so Christ says, come to me, Peter. So Peter comes, he walks on the water, and then what happens? He starts to look around at the waves and he loses his vision, his fixed eyes on the shepherd. He lost sight of, of Christ. He started to worry about the waves like we worry about everyday things. And what happens? Poof. He falls fast. And then that moment, I, I think I saw it a dozen times. And then you see the hand of the Lord come into the waters. And we have this picture in our bedroom of Christ's hand coming into the water. And he picks up Peter, and then what, Peter, what does Peter do? He clings to Christ. And then Christ says, oh, you, why did you doubt, oh, you of little faith? And he says it so sweet and soft to St. Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then Peter, for the next five minutes, the last five minutes, sorry, Amen. the last five minutes, keeps saying over and over again, don't let me go. Don't let me go. And he just clings to Christ. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. I can't do anything without you. That is a beautiful scene. You see the little child in Peter. It's beautiful. All right, I'm going to move on. Empty receivers. Uh, this is another paradox. We hear the old adage, it is better to give than to receive but I'm talking about another receive. And Kathy talked about this beautifully a couple of weeks ago. You did a great job. Um, and so I'm gonna give the example of Martha and Mary. And every one of us has a little bit of Martha and a little bit of Mary in us. We have the personality of both. Martha constantly wants to serve God, be a busybody for Christ. She has good intentions, but her timing 
is terrible. But she has good intentions. She has a good heart behind it. She wants to constantly serve and be busy. But what happens when we do this? When we're so busy wanting to serve? If I'm just serving and serving and serving, what's happening? I'm not getting fed. Be still and know that I am God. Don't worry about being busy for me. Don't worry about wanting to constantly serve. Have balance. Okay? And Christ tells Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things. You're, you're constantly fushing. You, you, you know, you're, you're constantly worried about all these things. And what does God say about worry? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We already have a lot on our plate. We don't need to add to it. And then he says to Martha, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Right? So what do I imagine that what is Christ trying to tell Martha? What is Christ trying to tell her? We read it in a lot of the parables. The poor you have with you always. My disciples will fast after I'm gone. But what? We will not always have the bridegroom in front of us. When Christ is trying to speak to you, when Christ is in front of you, Stop with what you're doing. Sit down and become a beggar. This is what Mary did. Mary in us sits at the feet of Christ like a little child to be fed with his words. She is receiving life from her father's voice. This is the definition of a beggar. We have nothing in ourselves to offer to God, but to live always with empty hands, stretched out ready to receive whatever crumbs may fall from our Father's table. That's what we're waiting for. I will serve, I will do whatever, only when I'm not taking away time from being fed from God himself. I have to be fed first before I can feed others. Okay, but the most beautiful example is Christ himself. What do we see this beautiful relationship between God the Father and God the Son? Christ came, incarnate Logos, he came and he emptied himself to be filled and receive what? Why did he empty himself? What is he receiving? What is he filling himself with? He receives the will of his Father. That's why he says, I have food of which you do not understand. What, what, what do they not understand? That it's not the physical food that I'm looking for. It's what? To do the will of my father. That's the food I want to be fed with. He is filled. He filled himself with the desire of his father. And he says it's super clear. In John 5, John 5, he says, most assuredly, we see that word again, assuredly. What does that mean? No compromise. This is how it is. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. This is now and when we were young. I can't tell you even now how excited I get to see my dad. I love my dad. I can't wait to see him. 
right? I still desire to please him and make him smile all the time, even now. You know, I tell him I love him all the time. I, I say all these things. And I remember on our wedding, uh, it, it was at the end of the reception. You know how you're thanking everyone for coming? I remember looking at my dad and I started to cry and I, and I, and I remember him telling him, if I can be the half the man that my dad is, I'll be a great husband and father. That's how much I idolized my dad to this day, okay? When it came to my dad, he, I saw Christ in him. I, saw, I see Christ in my dad constantly, okay? The point is what? That it's the people around us that lifts us up to get closer to God. We see Christ in others. So receiving one another is this beautiful union of love that we see even in God himself. God is a what? God is a family. He's a trinity, right? God has invited us to his house to be with his family, just like we have here at home, just like we'll have in our real true home at the end. There's no difference. Is we are meant to be social, we are meant to be in a family, and there's no greater family than the family we have in God. All right, freedom and joy is our last one. And we're going to end on this. I only have a couple more minutes. I apologize. Uh, why do kids in their natural state always look so happy and carefree? And we already know the answer. We talked about this. They sin and they move on. I want us to remember that. They sin and they move on. The move on is the most important part there. We don't live our lives in the sin. We live our lives in the aftermath, in the repentance, in the confession Okay. So children live in the joy of the resurrection of repentance. They live in the present moment of salvation, not regretting the past or worrying about the future. They run towards God, not away from him. They live in complete freedom and joy. They simply let God be God in them. I'm going to say that again. They simply let God be God in them. That's our job. Let God be God in us. I think we over-exaggerate, we overthink, we over-worry, and it's so simple, like a little child. But there is one thing that we can always have that children have, which is freedom through repentance. And that's the whole, pur the, the whole purpose of this lesson, is that we have freedom through repentance. And that's what Great Lent is all about. It's not focused on the sin, it's focused on the repentance. God bless you. True conversion, complete turning, like a matunya, goes back to being childlike, Christ-like. Isn't this our true ultimate desire? To have these two divine assurance. And why do we not believe this all the time? I want us to think about this. What are the two things that we are guaranteed to have from God? And he says nothing can divide us from it. What is that? God's love. That will never go away. Even for those that have not made it to the kingdom of heaven, he still loves them. The love has never fleeted or never, has, has never faded. But the second one is the one that we have to remember, that we are always forgiven. 
Those are the two divine assurances we are guaranteed. Love and forgiveness from God. This is what children have and live with, these two divine assurances. We have to remember that too as a little child. And this is the last part I'm gonna read. And this is what we're reading in the um, men's uh, book study. It's Monday nights. I highly recommend everyone be there. It's amazing. Okay, so we're reading right now How to Be a Sinner. Yeah, it's a rough title. So in this passage, it says the people, and every time we, I say people, I want us to think of children. The people, children, who are most in touch with themselves tend to be the happiest. The freest, least self-conscious people, children, are usually those who know full well that they are broken, that they are sinners, and that they depend on a higher power for their very life. Self-knowledge and surrender to God's immeasurable love and strength don't turn you into a nothing. Quite the opposite. You become fully alive, sure-footed, and, tr- and truly free. Okay? So in conclusion, now we're going to review and read the exact same thing I read at the beginning, the passage of Matthew 1 through 5, but now we're going to see it through a very different lens. And I want you to see if you can pick it up. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as the little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So Christ mentions five applicable words. And I want us to think of these five words and they all have something in common. And tell me what you think that is. He says, converted, enters, humbles, greatest, and receives. What are all five of those characteristics lead to? All these lead to one end goal in mind, a repentant heart. We get all of these things when we have a repentant heart. Complete freedom of self and sin. May this great Lent constantly remind us of repentance, forgiveness, and his resurrection, and that when we see children, we see the icons of Christ who reflect joy, peace, and freedom, and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. All right. Um, sorry, uh, I know it was a long day uh, of liturgy with the Feast of the Cross, I, uh, so I tried to go as fast as I can. I apologize. Uh, any questions? No? Okay. All right, let's stand up for prayer. Uh, Amen, Archie? No, Archie, no, okay. <laughs> Through the intercessions of ever-Virgin Theotokos, Mother of God, St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. John the Baptist, St. John the Beloved, St. Peter, St. Paul, the, the Holy Cross and all your providence saints,